Thank you, Pastor Dave. Good evening. My wife Penny and I were once again delighted to be with you folks, and I have to be serious, folks. We are very impressed by you. We realize it's a dark and cold night out there. It's windy, it's wet, it's Saturday night, and yet here you are in the house of God about to listen to some geek speak. So you folks have got to be spiritual giants, right? And you're humble, too. But uh, anyway, we do appreciate your being here this evening on a Saturday night. Uh, we are the Hoyles, and for 30 years this year, since 1985, our full-time ministry has dealt with the wonderful accuracy of God's Word, especially in terms of history and archaeology and science. We believe, as I'm sure most of you do, as Pastor Davis taught and preached, the more we dig, the better God's Word looks. And as you know, we don't need to prove the Bible, do we? But since the Bible is always true, we would expect to find evidence, right? There's lots of such evidence. This is evidence that goes a long way in a witnessing situation. This is evidence that goes a long way in especially reassuring folks, our young people in particular, regarding their faith. During the week, we're in public schools, Christian schools, homeschool groups, Awanas, youth meetings, that kind of thing. And of course, on Sundays, we get to be in churches like yours, and in this case, on a Saturday night. We cannot thank you enough for your interest and friendship and support that keeps us on the road the rest of the time. Well, this weekend, we get to be with you for three different presentations. Tonight, as you might know, we're talking about 10 top questions about dinosaurs, cavemen, and creation. And at the end, we'll have some time for some Q&A. Don't want to keep you too late because, after all, we've got church tomorrow morning. So, and so we'll have a little time for Q&A in public. And then, of course, my wife and I would be happy to talk with you afterwards uh, if you have some more questions um, and comments. Tomorrow morning, we hope that you'll join us for both services. We actually have two ministries, two parallel ministries. As some of you know, for 34 years now, I've been serving in the Air Force Reserve, and I began sharing programs for military audiences about God and country, God's providence throughout America's history, themes like those. And six years ago, I felt an overwhelming burden to start sharing these presentations with civilian audiences, and we've been delighted at the terrific response. In recognition of Veterans Day, uh, Pastor Dave asked that we go ahead, and tomorrow morning, we're going to take a look at America's spiritual heritage. We'll take a look at the fact that God has been very active in American history, and he's not done yet. So we'll talk about that tomorrow, okay, in two different presentations. For tonight, though, let's talk about God as a creator, shall we? Uh, before we begin, as Pastor Dave mentioned, we do have some resources. Uh, we do bring the books and discs because, number one, we can get some really good discounts on them by buying in huge quantities. And number two, uh, we get them, as Pastor Dave mentioned, because in many cases, they are difficult to get. Very briefly, don't want to do any long commercials here, but folks, I wish I'd written this book. This is the best book I've seen in 30 years for teenagers and adults, written by nine PhD scientists. This reminds us that smart people do believe in the Bible, don't they, Pastor Dave? Okay? Evolution's Achilles Heels. Terrific book, great price, gorgeous, full color. We highly, highly recommend We've mentioned this book before. We do so again. It's my favorite book for the entire family. It couldn't just happen. The most popular book in America regarding the Bible and science is this one, the New Answers book, volume one. It's got the top, 
uh, 28 questions people ask about dinosaurs, the age of the earth, the Big Bang Theory, apemen, cavemen, all that sort of thing. It's been so popular, there are now three sequels to that book, and they're over there as well. For the younger boys and girls, and Pastor Dave, I've always got to read this title here. This is for the younger kids, absolutely, positively. <laughs> this is all about evidences for creation that appeal to younger boys and girls. We'll very briefly talk about, among other things, dinosaurs this evening. As you might recall, we have shared an entire program about these creatures in times past. For right now, though, the best book for the entire family Dinosaurs by Design by Dr. Dwayne Gish. And as for the DVDs, there's a great DVD also called Evolution's Achilles Heels. This one's got 15 PhD scientists in it. Well, anyway, so much for all that. As you might know, many fine people do hold to macroevolution, amoebas to people type evolution. We might have some here today of that persuasion. We're honored you're with us. We hope you'll keep an open mind and see why we believe that the Bible and science, they are not against each other, are they? They both point to a creator who made us, he loves us, and he's got a plan for us, doesn't he? Starting with salvation through Jesus Christ. But as you know, evolution is taught as a fact in most schools. This evening we're gonna see how we think that again, God's word and God's world point to a creator instead. I've said so, uh, too much. Let's get started. Can we go ahead and have the lights, please? And people don't need to see me, but we do want them to be able to see the slides real well. So if it's okay, you can go ahead and take the lights off of me, and uh, I think they can see the slides a lot easier, too. All right, as you know from pastors preaching and teaching, come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Well, the fact is, many fine people, including many of you, have got perfectly fine questions regarding the Bible, correct? And the good news is, God's word, God's world have very fine answers. Tonight, as a result, let's look at 10 top questions about dinosaurs, cavemen, and creation. Although, frankly, folks, sometimes when I think of this program, I think of a can of worms, Pastor Dave. All right. Because, well, number one, somebody's going to be disappointed that we didn't cover their favorite question tonight. Well, take heart. We do have a part two in which we look at 10 more top questions about creation versus evolution, and we'd be happy to share that next year if you want. If we don't get to your question and you want more information now, we will have a time for Q&A this evening as well as during the Sunday School Hour tomorrow. And of course, there are some terrific books and discs over there by some very, very smart people who love God and love His Word and world. Well, let's get started folks, with the number one most popular question of all time, people ask about the Bible and science, what about dinosaurs? Well, most creation scientists and many, many Bible scholars don't think there's a problem at all regarding dinosaurs and the Bible. <laughs> For starters, in God's Word, in the book of Job, in chapter 40, as some of you know, we have a bizarre description of a very bizarre creature called Behemoth. Behemoth was big. Behemoth was very unusual. Among other strange things, the Bible tells us that Behemoth had a tail like a cedar tree. Skeptics of the Bible think that Behemoth was nothing more than an elephant. Really? <laughs> have you ever seen an elephant's tail? 
does that remind you of a cedar tree, Pastor Dave? Well, Pastor Dave, may I make a suggestion since you haven't had that experience yet? I was photographing elephants for this program at the San Diego Zoo, and I specifically wanted to get a picture of the backside, all right? One of the caretakers told me to stand 20 feet away, and I thought they just had some arbitrary rule. goes, no, 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 we're doing it for your sake, because when the elephant has to relieve himself, he usually does a gallon at a time, and he shoots it straight backwards. So, do not stand behind an elephant, folks. Not a good idea. Anyway, see, the reason Pastor Dave had me come here tonight is because I can bless you with information like this, all right, that will be invaluable to you. <laughs> right, Pastor Dave? <laughs> That's right. All right, only high-class trivia here, Pastor Dave. <laughs> anyway, folks, back to our subject here. Most creation scientists and many Bible scholars believe that behemoth sounds just like a sauropod, like this apatosaurus dinosaur you see me with here. Okay, Pastor Dave, that's the dinosaur, and that's me. Right. Okay, got that. All right, but moving on, we turn from Job chapter 40 to Job chapter 41, the bizarre account of Leviathan. Leviathan, he was big, and apparently he was a little bit mean, and he was marine. That's right. Apparently, he liked the water. And on top of that, folks, according to the Bible, he was some kind of fire-breathing dragon. Whoa. Does this put God's word on the same level as Godzilla? Well, of course not. The Bible's always true, isn't it, Pastor Dave? The more we dig, once again, the better it looks. True science agrees with the Bible. More and more scientists believe. Maybe there were, for example, hadrosaurus dinosaurs with the seeming ability to spray from their snouts a caustic, acid-like substance. This would be the first known case of breath so bad it would blow you away. <laughs> but somebody says, wait a minute, that's not fire, that's some chemical, like acid. That's true, but if you've been hurt by acid, you'd say you were what by acid? That's right. We don't know for sure. Someday we'll find out, folks. But maybe this is how the Bible writers are describing these creatures so that people would best understand. Maybe this is where we get the legends of fire-breathing creatures, fire-breathing dragons. Not real fire, but what these creatures, what they were spraying out, it sure felt like fire. Even today, there's certain creatures. If they don't bite you, I'm told they spray it at you, and it burns like fire. Well, being smart, no doubt, you have figured out something that at first seems rather unlikely, that dinosaurs and people were contemporaneous. They lived at the same time. And no, we're not talking about some sci-fi movie. More and more evidence, folks, actually indicates that. But it's politically incorrect evidence, isn't it? So we don't hear too much about it in our schools. And we shared such evidence like this in our program on dinosaurs a few years ago. We can talk more about that during Q&A if you want, because we do have to keep moving, folks. We've got nine other questions to address here this evening. If dinosaurs and people were contemporaneous, this would be a disaster for the theory of evolution, because evolution dogmatically insists that dinosaurs must have gone extinct about 65 million years ago during the Cretaceous period of the Mesozoic era to give mammals enough time to evolve into people. If they lived together, this would turn evolution upside down. 
By the way, folks, as we mentioned in that other dinosaur program, do you know there's actually no known way of dating dinosaur bones? They're dated based upon evolutionary assumptions. There's no accurate method otherwise, folks. There is some fascinating evidence that indicates otherwise, like the dinosaur blood they've been finding lately. And if you like, during Q&A, I do have a six-minute mini-program, the latest information on the dinosaur blood they've been finding. Folks, do you think dinosaur blood goes back 65 million years? It's still soft and it's still red. I don't think it's that old, do you? So we'll talk about that during Q&A if you want. Instead, back to our subject for the sake of time. Where do dinosaurs come from? Where do dinosaurs go? These are major, unpublicized problems plaguing the theory of evolution. For example, the old asteroid bombing the Earth routine has fallen upon hard times. There are now 55 different evolutionary theories for what happened to dinosaurs. The Pacific Science Center in Seattle has eight of these theories on exhibit, by the way. And some of these theories make more sense than others. I'll let you decide if the Gary Larson theory is credible. By the way, folks, do you know my wife is a celebrity? My wife went to school with Gary Larson. That's right. Give her a hand, folks. Come on now. All right. <laughs> anyway, you don't have to be some sort of a forensic scientist to figure out if God is God, he can do what he wants when he wants, right? It's God's business if dinosaurs are created on the sixth day of creation, not a quarter of a billion years ago, but thousands of years ago. It's God's business if they only reproduced after their own kind and never became birds. It's God's business if the Genesis flood is an excellent theory to explain what has happened to so many creatures, including dinosaurs, creating dinos giant dinosaur graveyards. And we talk more about that in part two of this program if you're interested. Anyway, with regard to dinosaurs, much more could be said. But for right now, we do know that the good news is, if you disagree with this idea about dinosaurs, this theory, it's not the end of the world, is it? The main thing is that we do believe in creation by God. The main reason is that we do believe that he created us and in his image, which we'll get to in a minute. But for the sake of time, moving on, next question. Don't things change at all? This concerns variation, a.k.a. what's called microevolution. I don't believe in macroevolution, amoebas to people, but folks, we do believe in variation, which I believe is erroneously sometimes called microevolution, but I can live with that if necessary. There is variation in nature, isn't there? For example, from the original pair of dog-like creature, creatures, the canine kind, if you will, made by God, have bred 600 varieties of dog-like creatures, either through nature, through natural selection, or through artificial breeding by man. But they're all stale dogs, aren't they? They've always been dogs. They will always be dogs, won't they? We have different varieties of dogs, but they're all still dog-like. Dogs will never become dolphins, which is, by the way, what the theory of evolution says. Do you know that? The Pacific Science Center in Seattle has an exhibit explaining how Lassie became Flipper. Okay? I'm, I'm overdoing it there, folks, but basically that's the gist of it. There are different varieties of dogs, 
big ones, little ones. We've got some that need ironing. But folks, they're all stale dogs, aren't they? We can have variation within each created kind, perfectly permitted by the laws of God and laws of genetics. But that's as far as things can change. Everything reproduces after its own kind. And of course, not just dogs, but cats, horses, cows, people, right? Variation within each created kind. But again, no new kinds, right? This explains, for example, the famous Galapagos Island finches of Charles Darwin. I've gone through 18 school textbooks about evolution. This example is in almost all of them. They claim that from one pair of finches have developed 13 different kinds of finches. But folks, that's just it. Not only are they all still birds, they're all still what, please? They're all still finches. They're just different varieties. This doesn't prove macroevolution, does it? It's a great illustration of natural selection. It's a great illustration of survival of the fittest, of variation, but not macroevolution. They're all still finches, aren't they? And they'll never, ever be anything else. But again, for the sake of time, moving on. Couldn't God have used evolution, a.k.a. theistic evolution? Many fine people hold to this view. I came across a couple of folks in a church a couple of weeks ago. But folks, we go by the book, don't we? The Word of God. The first thing we do in answering this question, or any question, folks, regarding the Bible and science, what does the Bible say? And along the way, we'll note that science always agrees. Case in point, according to the Bible, folks, reptiles, including dinosaurs, they appear on the earth, folks, on the sixth day of creation. The birds that my evolutionary friends claim evolved from these reptiles were already here on the fifth day of creation. We can't have it both ways, can we, Pastor Dave? Oh, we're just getting started, Pastor Dave. Just getting started. According to evolution, life began in the sea. According to the Bible, the first life was on land on the third day of creation, right? According to evolution, folks, it all began in outer space with a big bang. According to the Bible, the earth was already here and then outer space. According to evolution, we're back to those dogs and dolphins and whales and what have you. According to evolution, all right, terrestrial creatures like dogs and cows evolved back to the water and became dolphins and whales. Well, guess what? The Bible specifically mentions whales by name, right? The Bible says that they were here before land animals. Land ma uh, marine mammals were here before their so-called ancestors. According to evolution, we all evolved from unknown primitive ape-like creatures, similar to chimpanzees. But folks, according to the Bible, we were created instantaneously directly from the dust of the earth. According to evolution, once again, we evolved from unknown primitive ape-like creatures, not like monkeys, folks. That's rather offensive to our evolutionary friends. They've never said that at all. It's unknown chimpanzee-like creatures. What does the Bible say? We were created in the image of God. According to evolution, everything got here through survival of the fittest, struggle and death. According to the Bible, there was no such thing 
as survival of the fittest, sin or death, until Adam sinned. How could Adam have evolved for survival of the fittest if there was no such thing yet? According to evolution, the lovely, fairer gender evolved from unknown primitive female ape-like creatures. According to the Bible, where did the first woman come from? Anybody? That's right, the side of Adam. Eve was the first prime rib. See, the main reason Pastor Dave has me come, my jokes are so bad I make his look good, okay? According to evolution, folks, this is rather spooky, all right? The biggest difference between apes and humans is upright posture. I kid you not. I personally heard the world's top evolutionary expert on paleoanthropology, Richard Leakey. I heard him say that. But folks, once again, man was created in the image of God. He has an eternal soul. I think he's a lot different from apes, don't you? And not just upright posture. He is far more than just an upright animal. Which, by the way, is one reason why human beings have been dehumanized by the theory of evolution. Back to our subject. According to evolution, everything got here by accident, folks. Mutations are accidents with your genes and chromosomes, okay? And accidents are not good, are they? What about God's Word? It tells us God is not the author of confusion. And folks, there is nothing more chaotic or confusing, confusing than the evolutionary process. It's incredibly wasteful and cruel. According to evolution, we've got to have an awful lot of time to get things to happen. But as we'll see later on, folks, it doesn't matter how much time you give the wonderful design in God's creation. It's not going to happen by accident, is it? And by the way, while we're at it, as some of you folks know, according to the second law of thermodynamics, the more time you give something, eventually, does it get better? It gets worse. Things wear out. They wind down. They break down, correct? Young people, trust me, enjoy your youth while you can. Once you hit 30, you're finished. Right, Pastor Dave? Once you hit 30, it's all over, and you'll know why your parents seem to be kind of dithery sometimes, okay? Well, I digress. Better move on before I get in trouble here. Next question, very important question. Doesn't DNA prove evolution? I keep hearing this all over the place. DNA, as you know, stands for deoxyribonucleic acid. DNA makes up our genes. Genes make up our chromosomes, right? Well, anyway, folks, in most schools, they teach as a fact that DNA proves that we came from unknown primitive chimpanzee-like creatures. They maintain in most schools that there's at least a 98%, whoops, a 98% similarity between the DNA of chimpanzees and the DNA of humans. Well, folks, that's not true, but for the sake of time, we'll go ahead and accept it, okay? The 2% alleged difference between chimps and humans is enormous. We're talking about comparing apples with watermelons. We're talking about some differences that are extraordinarily profound. Indeed, folks, do you know the 2% difference involves almost 1,000 major genetic traits? Now, is that a lot of differences, folks? And these are big differences. 
like brain size alone, folks, is one of those differences. It's a biggie, isn't it? And the proof is in the pudding. They don't teach in most schools, for example, that guess what? The metacarpal area of the human hand, it's more like that of a Japanese salamander. Or, guys, the muscles of the human male face are more like those of a Pekingese dog. Or, in terms of specific gravity and antibody formation, human blood is more like that of frogs. Or one of my favorites, and I was talking to my optometrist about this. He confirmed it, folks. The human eye is not like any ape's eye. It's more like that of an octopus's or cephalopods. And nobody thinks we came from an octopus. But overall, folks, overall, in terms of anatomy and physiology, human beings are more like what creature? Anybody remember? Human beings are more like what creature? Pigs! Absolutely, that's right. This explains a lot, folks. <laughs> this explains the eating habits of Baptists at Thanksgiving time. This explains why Baptists tend to be big hams, okay? They just... I've got the stage. <laughs> they dissect pigs, don't they? in college biology classes because of the similarity between them and us. We could go on and on, but the bottom line is, folks, they have desperately tried to put ape parts in human because each year over 10,000 Americans die because they cannot get a particular organ transplant. They are eager to come up with parts for human beings. That's why cloning is being looked to as a possibility for people parts, if you will. But in the meantime, they're optimistic that within 20 years, they'll be able to get pigs to produce hearts, lungs, kidneys, and livers for human transplant. In 20 years, there will be people full of bacon bits. <laughs> so guess what, folks? If we evolve from some creature, it wasn't an ape. It was a pig. And we have time during Q&A. I would love to share with you a fascinating story of a young lady I met in um, Milton, Washington, whose life was saved because of the compatibility between her skin and pig skin. Ape skin did not work, folks. Well, anyway, back to our subject. We could go on and on, but most of all, folks, most of all, in terms of differences between apes and us, with all due respect to our little furry ape friends, no ape ever wrote a book. No ape can read a book. No ape has conducted a symphony orchestra or built a skyscraper or designed a rocket or flown to the moon. And folks, no ape has an eternal soul and was created in the image of God. And by the way, may I throw this in since we've got a little bit of time here tonight? I always have to chuckle whenever I read an article or hear some program about how excited our anthropologist friends are over the fact that this chimpanzee can take a piece of straw and poke termites with it. And my response is, I'm sorry, Pastor Dave, it's a little bit sarcastic. It's, whoa, next thing you know, he'll be building a rocket ship. <laughs> Folks, there's a little difference, don't you think, between poking a bug with a piece of straw okay, and going to the moon. But moving on here, folks. Next question. How about ape men? Who were the cavemen? Well, folks, 
trying to assemble tiny bits of bone to prove human evolution, it's a lot like trying to assemble a jigsaw puzzle. My wife right now is working on this humongous jigsaw puzzle, very difficult, that a friend of hers gave her. Except, folks, in the case of human evolution, almost all the pieces are missing. <laughs> case in point, Ramapithecus, allegedly one of our great-great ancestors 10 to 14 million years ago, depending upon who you talk to, Ramapithecus was reconstructed, mainly, folks, from jawbone bits and chiefly teeth. And you know what? There are serious problems in making men out of molars. Case in point, in the great state of Colorado, they found a tooth, uno tooth, one tooth. Using that one tooth, and they're still doing this today, using that one tooth, they reconstructed the Colorado man who turned out to be a horse, of course. Or in Nebraska, they found one tooth, uno tooth. They used it to reconstruct Hesperopithecus, or the Nebraska man. In fact, they not only figured out how tall he was and how much he weighed, they even figured out how his lovely wife looked, all from a single tooth. That did not come from a man, ape, or ape man. It came from a pig. A piece of bone was found they thought was a cranial plate of one of your ancestors. Folks, it turns out to have been from the kneecap of an elephant. A piece of bone was found. They thought it was one of your ancestors' collarbones. It turns out to have been a dolphin's rib. He's now called Flipperpithecus. We could go on and on and on with illustrations that are not going to be publicized, folks, in most schools, but don't take my word for it. Dr. Gregory Kirby is one of our evolutionary friends. He's just one of many, at least in private, who will admit things like this. If you were to spend your life picking up bones, there's a very strong desire to what, folks? Exaggerate the importance of these fragments. For what it's worth, we've been doing this ministry for 30 years, as we said earlier, we've been in all 50 states and five foreign countries. We've done 3,500 programs now. The people I meet who know the most about evolution very frequently, at least in private, have the biggest doubts about it because they know the truth. <laughs> anyway, folks, back to our subject. There were no ape men except Tarzan. All right, there have been apes, there have been men, and nothing in between. And some of you might recall the collection of human and ape skulls that we have brought here before. But we move on from missing pieces to mixed up pieces. Famous example, Lucy, Australopithecus afarensis. She's by far the most famous ape person of all time. But folks, Lucy has fallen upon very hard times. Only 40% of her skeleton was found. And key parts were not found, folks. But what they did find did not help evolution at all. They discovered that her forearms were extremely long, that she had very long fingers, very long toes. These are all features on a creature that's arboreal. Lucy lived in a what, folks? In a tree. My evolutionary friends have become very disenchanted with Lucy, more and more saying, we can no longer say, I love Lucy. They don't know for sure if we evolved from her, before her, after her, or through her, if she really did walk upright or, or how old she actually was. But she's not the only one that's used by our evolutionary friends. There's also Xenjanthropus, Australopithecus boise, the nutcracker man. 
You might think, he looks like an ape-man. I would agree, except there's no such thing as an ape-man. And secondly, the brown parts were found, not the tan parts. And they were so fragmented. There were those who said he looked like he was run over by a big truck. The fact is, there are four contradictory reconstructions of Zinjanthropus. We believe Zinjanthropus was an extinct ape, and that Lucy might have been the female counterpart. Or here we have Java Man, Pithecanthropus, and you might think, he looks like an ape man, but again, there's no such thing, is there? And secondly, the brown parts were found. The tan parts were made up. I cannot tell you how many times I've had students and even teachers say, we didn't know that, because they're looking at black and white photographs in their textbooks or line drawings. I was doing a science presentation on Olympia one time, and afterwards, one of the teachers, after looking at all these skulls we had lined up on the table there, she told me, I did not know. She said, from now on, I've got to start teaching evolution as a theory. And I thought, you know what? That's okay, Pastor Dave, isn't it? We turn to one, another one of our evolutionary friends, very famous Dr. Tim White. He was a colleague of America's top paleoanthropologist, Dr. Donald Johansson, who's the one who found Lucy. Tim White said, as you can see, the problem with a lot of anthropologists is that they want so much to find a hominid or some kind of ape man that any scrap of bone becomes a hominid bone. <laughs> but moving on, folks, we have an entire program on this subject. But in this case, we've got nine other questions, don't we? <laughs> we turn to misunderstood pieces and human evolution. The Neanderthals, the Cro-Magnon men, they're the geeks and nerds of human evolution. But folks, all they prove is that human beings vary a lot. And some of them can be a little bit homelier than others. Due to skeletal arthritis, vitamin D deficiencies, and pituitary disorders, human skulls vary enormously. In fact, a while back, a plastic surgeon showed me a, an entire book of x-rays of human skulls. Even I was stunned. I had no idea such variation was possible. And some of those guys look just like ape men, folks. If their skulls were dug up, years later, they could very well be mistaken for being some kind of missing link. Lafayette, who helped out General Washington, his skull looked almost the same as the classic La Chapelle Neanderthal man. Did Lafayette live 80,000 years ago, folks? No, he lived 200 years ago, didn't he? Human skulls vary a lot, don't they? Here in the center, we've got people from the 20th century. This man here has no forehead, a prognathic face. These are classic Peking man features on a fellow who did not live a half a million years ago. Down here at the bottom is Cro-Magnon Man, and his skull is actually superior to that of Charles Darwin's. <laughs> now, speaking of that, that brings me to me, as Pastor Dave already knows, he's probably going to chuckle here, I have a fat head. I have a size extra, extra, extra big head. Extra large, folks, triple X. All four times when I graduated from college and graduate school, they had a special order my graduation cap. I mentioned I'm in the Air Force Reserve. Every time the Air Force changes one of their uniform hats, I have to get the new one, right? And it has to be custom made just for me. I'm special, folks. 
I could go on and on about my, t my wife knows all about it, folks. I have a terrible time getting hats set fit. You know those baseball caps that snap in the back, one size fits all? Those things sit on top of my head like a teacup. This is not my x-ray. Um, I actually got a chiropractor. He's going to work on getting a really good x-ray of my skull. Oh, I, my wife was, uh, she was there. This chiropractor, he said, your head's amazing. I said, isn't it though? He goes, no, I didn't mean it in a good way. <laughs> anyway, folks, my head was so big, he could not get the whole thing on his x-ray. I was stunned, humiliated. Anyway, I need therapy. Um, this is not my skull here, but I'm just using it as an illustration. I took an x-ray of my skull. It wasn't very good quality, but I showed it to a doctor, a man I met, very nice man, an evolutionist, because he'd never been taught anything different. He was stunned. He asked me, where did you get this x-ray? Look at the size of this monster. He went on and on and on and said, this is obviously an x-ray of a very primitive, backward, retarded individual. <laughs> All right, Pastor Dave, tone it down. Tone Okay, tone it down. Okay. My skull is extremely similar to the skull of a Cro-Magnon man, caveman. And I did not live 40,000 years ago, did I? Human skulls vary a lot, don't they? Ape skulls vary a lot. Well, anyhow, back to our subject, folks. The fact is, folks, there are people today just like me that you might very well confuse with some kind of caveman. Cavemen, we believe, were people who lived in caves after the Genesis flood. But there were no apemen, were there? There were extinct apes, there were cavemen, and we think there was a creation. Before we move on, though, to our next question, and again, we have an entire program about human evolution. Folks, may I ask how many here have heard about the Georgian skulls that were found two years ago? Anybody? Sometimes they get so frustrated with the media. Folks, this was an atom bomb for the theory of evolution, which maybe explains why hardly anybody's heard about it. The Georgian skulls were a series of five skulls that were found not in our Georgia, but in a former Soviet province of Georgia. What's the big deal? Well, folks, these five skulls are found in the same deposit. Now, they're distorted here because we're using a widescreen here, widescreen format. But folks, these skulls are all found together. What's the problem? According to evolution, these skulls represent missing links that lived hundreds of thousands of years apart. This guy here is a classic Neanderthal man, and Neanderthals go no, go, go no further back than 300,000 years according to evolution. But this skull was found with an Australopithecine skull. Australopithecines go back to one and a half million years. What's a skull doing with that skull? But it gets worse. Over here, folks, we've got one of the um, Homo erectus skulls. Homo erectus skulls go back about half a million years. What's he doing with these skulls? And then, folks, we have got a Homo habilis skull. Homo habilis skulls, depending upon who you talk to, are about a million years ago, give or take. And we don't have enough here to really know, okay? Why are these skulls found in the same place? Revolution, they have no answer. We believe they represent human beings or apes that lived all together at the same time. We could go on and on, but we have to wrap up this question here. 
Each time I visit the Smithsonian in Washington, D.C., their exhibit on human evolution is different. This sign's announcing they're going to change it. They did. I was there during the second week that it opened up a $17 million new exhibit on evolution. And they're going to change it again. Dr. Donald Johansson, America's chief expert on the subject, folks, I personally heard him say that he and his colleagues argue so much about human evolution, they almost resort to fistfights. And he's America's top expert. Or Richard Leakey, who's the world's top expert, folks, I personally heard him say he's never actually found anything to prove human evolution on a British radio. He said his chart to prove human evolution would look like a giant question mark. <laughs> but the public's not going to hear about that, is it? But we have to move on. Next question. Regarding human beings, great question, popular question, how did the races develop? Well, the good news is, folks, God's not a racist, is he? The Bible tells us we're all related. We're variations of the humankind that God created, right? He hath made of one blood all nations of men. We have different races of people for the same reason that we have different varieties of dogs and horses and cows and what have you. We have different varieties of people because of two things, sexual reproduction and isolated gene pools. Let me explain, please. Case in point, let's go ahead and go to uh, Noah and the ark. After the Genesis flood, the Bible tells us that Noah and his wife went one way, and Shem and Ham and Javeth, they took their wives, they went off in other directions, they began to reproduce. And their descendants began to reproduce in isolated parts of the world, isolated gene pools. And after a while, certain features start popping up over and over again. Let's say Shem, for example, uh, he had certain facial features, certain texture of hair or color of skin, and next thing you know, he's got a whole uh, population that looks a lot like him. A race has been born. We have found this to be true with South Sea Island populations. The islanders are all cooped up on the same island, and next thing you know, a miniature race has been born. Now, it is true. If we have human beings reproducing with human beings that are too closely related, we can wind up with incest, right? With birth defects. But if we go back thousands of years to the days of Noah, man had not accumulated all the negative mutated genes we've got today. Back then, a person can marry a first cousin, a closer relative without that issue. By the way, I shared this scenario with three people with genetic backgrounds they admitted they didn't have a problem with it. They asked me where the idea came from. When I told them, that's when they had a problem. <laughs> Folks, we believe that this explanation for the different races is perfectly legitimate and it's not racist. But the theory of evolution is inherently racist. But next question, did Darwin really change his mind about evolution? Many fine Christians ask about this. I wish it were true, folks. I don't find the evidence to indicate that Charles Darwin changed his mind, and most of all, I don't have any evidence that he became a Christian. He was a fine man of God. Uh, I'm sure Pastor Dave's heard of him, J. Oswald Smith, famous evangelist. And we don't know where he got this idea, but he wrote a tract, became very popular. 
And in his tractic claim, Don became a Christian, and he told a lady hope on his deathbed that he was recanting of the theory of evolution. We don't know who Lady Hope was. There just is no evidence for this. That's the bad news. Now the good news is, and they don't teach this in most schools, Darwin had serious problems with his theory. Problems that have not gone away. They've only gotten worse. Darwin, in his famous book, The Origin of Species, he used words like maybe, possibly, and hopefully to describe his theory over 800 times. <laughs> he predicted that if his theory was correct, the crust of the earth would be found to be full of literally countless transitional forms, fossils of all kinds of half and half creatures. Folks, they're not there, are they? Let me throw this in for free. I was doing a science assembly at a Kitsap High School one time, and afterwards, very nice teacher said, Dr. Hoyle, you're not being fair. And I said, well, I'm sorry, ma'am. How am I not being fair? And she said, you're too impatient. We need more time to find the fossils to prove evolution. And I said, ma'am, with all due respect, you've been looking for 150 years. Give it up. They're not there. Everything repro reproduces after its own kind. But next, moving on. Why do so many fine people, many scientists, still believe in evolution, macroevolution? Well, folks, over the years, I've discovered mainly two reasons. There are others, but the two big ones are as follows. Number one, they don't know any better. Science has become so specialized, so compartmentalized. People assume somebody else has proven evolution. I've talked to biologists who have told me, I can't prove evolution. But the geologists can. Well, you know where this is going, right, Pastor Dave? I talk to the geologists, and they tell me, well, I can't prove evolution, but the molecular biologists can. That's right, folks. Then you talk to the molecular biologists, and they say, I can't prove evolution, but the paleoanthropologists can. By the way, I'm throwing this in as well. Uh, one time I was listening to Dr. Donald Johansson speak, and I asked him what he had found to prove human evolution. Now, this is America's top expert on human evolution. You know what he said? I can't prove it, but the molecular biologists can. The molecular biologists can't prove it. The molecular biologists cannot prove it, folks, either. <laughs> now, secondly, many fine people do believe in evolution, and they do know the truth about it. But they believe it because they don't want to believe in God. <laughs> God says we're sinners. God says that we need salvation through Jesus Christ. This idea does not appeal to some people, does it? D.M.S. Watson, famous British evolutionist, I appreciate his candor, Pastor Dave. He admitted evolution is a theory universally accepted, which is not true, but anyway, universally accepted, not because it can be proved by evidence to be true, but because the only alternative, special creation, relies upon God. <laughs> Well, no big surprise, more and more brilliant scientists, engineers, professors, teachers, technicians, etc., they've concluded science points to a creation. Michael Denton is a classic example. When he got done, he wrote a famous book, Evolution, A Theory in Crisis. And I enjoyed having a lengthy conversation with him just last year about this. And we could go on and on. The Creation Research Society has 3,000 scientists in it with master's degrees and doctorates. They all believe in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. 
Next, last question, folks, and then we'll have time for some Q&A and or that six-minute dinosaur blood program. What's the best way to handle evolution in school? I went to public school myself, so I, you know, I empathize with this question. Folks, believe it or not, I think our young people should learn about evolution. Why is that? Two reasons. Number one, they will have a more credible testimony. People won't be able to say that you are a dumb, ignorant Christian because you don't know any better. If you've learned about evolution, you know better, don't you? And the more I study evolution, folks, the more disenchanted I am with it. Anytime I hear some famous evolutionist is in town, I'm one of the first people to get a ticket to hear him speak. Okay? And I feel better afterwards, Pastor Dave. <laughs> Secondly, I am in the Air Force Reserve, and a second reason I think it's advantageous to learn about evolution is because, folks, the more we know about the opposition, the better we can handle them, right? The American military spends almost as much time studying enemy weapon systems as we do our own weapon systems, right? The more you know about the opposition, the better you can relate to them. For example, let's say you have a Mormon friend and you want to share the gospel with your Mormon friend. You don't have to be an expert in Mormonism, do you? But you would have more credibility and you'd have more background if you knew a teeny bit about Mormonism, right, Pastor Dave? At least know that the Book of Mormon is their chief book, okay? You know, some basic facts like that. Now, when I was in school, uh, I went ahead and I learned the material, and I put the material down in tests, but at the bottom of the test, I would make notes like this one. Thanks for a great class, and I trust that these are the correct test answers. I'm being humble there, pa Pastor Dave. With all due respect, however, I still find it too difficult to believe in macroevolution. Folks, I still got my A, and I still took a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, I forgot to mention, during class, I'd say, Mr. Angelel, he was my high school biology teacher, could you please go over one more time how the eye evolved? Now, after a while, he stopped calling on me, but... <laughs> anyway, folks, the truth will set us free, right? We can go on and on. We do so in part two. But for right now, we note... For by him, the Lord Jesus Christ, were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth. All things were created by him and for him. Uh, we now can either do Q&A or do you want a quick six-minute presentation on the dinosaur blood? Okay, how many want Q&A now? Raise your hands, please. Whoa, okay, big zero there. How many want dinosaur blood? Oh, you people are gruesome. <laughs> uh, first of all, uh, so we know how much to explain. How many here already know all about the dinosaur blood they've been finding? Raise your hands, please. This is sad, folks. This is the media, okay? <laughs> uh, they found some fragments. DNA is extremely, extremely delicate, okay? And uh, ordinarily, they theorize that after... Maximum 10,000 years, the DNA is going to start breaking down. And as a res no big coincidence, we think the Earth is probably about 10,000 years old. So no big surprise that the DNA, uh, it's not in very good condition. <laughs> but excellent question, Pastor Dave. Okay, uh, since we've got dinosaur blood fans here, <laughs> let's go ahead and say a quick word about that. All right, our story begins in the great state of Montana. They were excavating the bones of a Tyrannosaurus rex, 
They named her Catherine for some reason. I've tried to find out why, and nobody seems to know. But anyway, they were excavating Catherine uh, in Montana in Hell Creek on the side of a small mountain. They were having difficulty getting one of her thigh bones or femurs into the helicopter they were using for transportation. So they broke it into three pieces. Ordinarily, we'd be sad, but we're actually glad. Because after they cleaned up the fragments, that's what they found inside. Soft, red, dinosaur blood tissue. They were absolutely speechless. Because, folks, that bone is supposed to be 68 million years old. If you think blood can last that long and look that good, if you think any kind of organic tissue can last that long, check out the inside of your refrigerator sometime. <laughs> The specimens were so good, they identified the T-Rex as a she-rex that was pregnant to boot. Now, again, they thought this, this lady, this she-rex, was 68 million years old, folks. The Genesis flood, we think, is an excellent explanation for how Catherine was killed fast, buried fast, and fossilized fast. How the outside of her femur was lithified by petrifying minerals as a result of the Genesis flood. Is this something crazy that I found from a tabloid in, in the you know, grocery store? No. Folks, after two years of research, the big day came, March 25th, 2005, America's top scientific journal simultaneously published articles about the most exciting fossil evidence found in 100 years. This has been all over the internet. It's been in the technical journals. What bothers me, I have yet to see a single TV documentary about it. I, am, I have yet to see anything about it in Time or Newsweek or other popular magazines because it is so very, very politically incorrect. For evolution, this is a disaster. This blood indicates dinosaurs lived very, very recently. Thousands of years ago, not up to a quarter of a billion years ago. Now, National Geographic magazine, as far as I know, has yet to have an article about it, but I did find an article about it on your website. I asked about this the last time I was in Washington, D.C. at Geographic headquarters. Nobody there knew what I was talking about. <laughs> May I ask, how many here think this should have been in the front cover of National Geographic magazine? It's a no-brainer, isn't it? Absolutely, folks. Discover magazine, by the way, is America's most popular layman's scientific journal, and it had a seven-page feature article. And in it, they discussed the fact that poor Dr. Mary Schweitzer, who made the discovery, she was vilified for it. She had embarrassed the theory of evolution. She was called a fraud. She was called a cheat. She was called incompetent. And, of course, subsequent research has vindicated her. Four Tyrannosaurus rexes have now been found with blood inside their bones. A Hadrosaurus, a Mesosaurus, other dinosaurs are being found with blood inside their bones. Discover Magazine declared this discovery the number six top news story of the year. Smithsonian had a six-page feature article about all this called Dinosaur Shocker. And they've been finding blood in other fossils of other creatures that according to evolution go up to 400 million years ago. I don't think so, do you? Obviously, we're talking about creatures that live very, very recently, were killed fast, buried fast, and fossilized fast by, once again, something like the Genesis Flood. So, folks, 
We could go on and on about this, but here's an interesting thought. If they can find some viable DNA from these or future specimens, they will be well on their way to doing what? Cloning a Trinosaurus Rex. Dun, dun, dun. I understand our Japanese friends are hoping to do just that, which baffles me. Didn't they learn their lesson after Godzilla? <laughs> Didn't they see the second national, I mean, uh, the second um, uh, Jurassic Park film? Our Japanese friends are more, very resourceful, though. I doubt they'll pull it off, but I could be wrong. So who knows? Maybe someday you will be going to Jurassic Park. My recommendation, folks, is count your kids before you leave. <laughs> anyway, um, do you have a minute to share how a pig skin saved a six-year-old girl? Okay. These are stories, folks, they don't teach them in most schools because they're politically incorrect. Uh, make a long, long story short, I was speaking in this church, and a family came up to me based upon some comments we made, and they wanted to share a story with me, which was absolutely fascinating, I thought. Uh, again, long story short, when this girl, who's now, who was 18 at the time, now she's 26, she's 18 at the time when she was 6 years old, 12 years earlier. She almost died from a reaction, uh, a, a reaction to some medication she was taking, to some sulfa drugs. Her skin started sliding off her body in sheets. There's a big, long technical term for it. I just can't remember what it is right now. I've got it written down. <laughs> anyway, her parents are terrified. They rushed her to Harborview Medical Center in Seattle. A brilliant doctor there said, we will treat her as if she has third-degree burns covering her entire body. Now, as you know, ordinarily, third-degree burns on your entire body, you're not going to make it, are you? Okay? So they removed all the skin she had except for her eyebrows part of her nose lips uh her ears i believe okay and a few other parts all right all the rest of her skin came off all right and they as the girl's telling me this the parents went back home to bring back a scrapbook and they showed it to me before lunch i saw pictures of a six-year-old girl with no skin yeah she's gonna die you have to have skin if you don't have skin you dehydrate, you can become infected, and you'll gross out everybody while you're doing it, okay? So what did the doctors do? Ape skin does not work, folks. No ape part has ever worked in human beings. Pig parts do. Many, many people have pig heart valves, don't they? They work extremely well. I know several people with pig heart valves, okay? So this doctor said, we're going to cover this girl with pig skin. And I saw the pictures. She looked like a giant Oscar Mayer wiener. Okay? They covered her up with pig skin. Three weeks later, her human skin began to grow back under the pig skin. They peeled off the pig skin. She's just as good as new today. Uh, her dad just sent me some pictures. She's now happily married, beautiful young ladies, got a, got a a uh, handsome husband, a little baby girl, doing just great. Virtually no scar tissue at all. Pig skin saved that girl, folks. Ape skin, it didn't. Because we did not come from some sort of ape-like creature, did we? We were created by God, weren't we? Anyway, um, any questions or comments before we show up? Well, yes, ma'am, you're fast.
you have a bad attitude, ma'am. <laughs> but you're quite correct. Yes, ma'am. My evolutionary friends have to have a lot of time to get evolution to happen because it's all based upon chance. And our idea is if we give something enough time, anything can happen. Is that true? Of course not. If I, t if, well, I'm a rock hound, okay? If I showed you a piece of hematite high-grade iron ore and I asked you how long would it take before it became a wristwatch, what would you say? What do you think, Pastor Dave, a million years before it becomes a wristwatch? A billion years. Come on, Pastor Dave, work with me here. Without any help. It's never going to happen, folks, is it? And one single cell in your body is much more complicated than this wristwatch is. If somebody designed and made the wristwatch, somebody designed that first single cell. And we have 100 trillion of them in our bodies of 250 different types. They did not happen by accident or chance, did they? Time does not solve all problems, does it? It doesn't heal all wounds, okay? So anyway, ma'am, nevertheless, they want lots and lots of time to get evolution to work, all right? And that means they have to backpedal and find the evidence to prove that, which is not how science works. In science, you don't reach a conclusion and then try to backpedal and make the conclusion true, all right? That's exactly the opposite of the scientific method, all right? So they have to backpedal and try to find evidences that indicate that the Earth is extremely old and that life is extremely old. Well, the fact of the matter is, they have a few shaky methods, mainly radiometric dating methods, that have become extremely, extremely unpopular because of all the complications involved. There are over 100 different indicators for a young Earth. But these don't get publicized, do they? And then you've got evidences like the dinosaur blood, okay? You know, I took a slide of that T-Rex blood I showed it to a hematologist in Anacorda. She's had 20 years experience doing nothing but studying blood. Can you imagine that's all you study every day is blood? Okay? Somebody's got to do it. Anyway, she looked at these and she said, the only thing that would shock me more than these pictures would be pictures of Martians. <laughs> she said, if I seal up blood in acrylic plastic, it would not look this good. No matter what I can do, after a matter of a few thousand years, the blood is not going to look like this anymore. He said, it is impossible that this blood is millions of years old. He said, it's completely inconceivable. All right. She should know. She's a hematologist. Okay. So anyway, ma'am, getting back to your excellent question here, they need a whole lot of time hoping that things can happen by accident or chance. Number one, doesn't matter how much time you give. A wristwatch, for example, it's not going to evolve. Our cells aren't going to evolve. And number two, there is insufficient evidence to prove that we have an old, old Earth anyway. Did I answer your question at some point? Well, you're quite right. In science, for something to be true empirically, it's got to be observable, repeatable, and testable. You cannot do that with evolution, can you? In science, there are two different categories of science. There's empirical science and historical science, and the two get confused, all right? Empirical science is science that you can test, like physics, chemistry. You can do experiments, can't you? Evolution is a, quote, so-called historical science. 
Nobody was there. We can't test it. We can't repeat it. It's strictly theoretical, isn't it? But they teach it as a fact in most schools. And that's just not appropriate, is it? Any, excellent question, ma'am. Anyone else? The rapture is about to happen. Uh, yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Pangea. Good question. Um, the Red Answers book has a huge chapter on the subject. I personally have serious doubts about Pangea. The supercontinent? Yeah, it's a supercontinent. I'm sorry? Yeah, Pangea is a so-called supercontinent, and it broke up, and we have our, our present continents today, okay? There's no known mechanism to explain that, okay? Secondly, the true shape of the continents is actually below water, isn't it, along the continental plateaus. They have to wish away an awful lot of land, or they have to add an awful, awful lot of land to get Pangaea to fit properly, okay? So I have serious doubts about it, but the good news is it's fairly academic. It doesn't determine creation or evolution. Some creationists believe in it, some don't. I have serious doubts. Some evolutionists don't believe in it, okay? Some do. So um, at any rate, we, don't, we, we need to know more about that first. We need more research about that. But the good news is, though, it doesn't determine really anything one way or the other, does it? We can talk some more afterwards if you want, because I'm looking at the clock right here. <laughs> yes, sir, last one. Actually, they've been finding this uh, in parts of the world, especially in India. They found quite a bit of it in India. But once again, sir, this is politically incorrect. This is impossible. If it's impossible, they don't want to talk about it. Okay? I was talking to one of my evolutionary friends. I was discussing this, and uh, I asked him, and I've heard this before. Uh, he, goes, he, he calls it a um, geological anomaly, which is a polite way of saying we don't know. I'll give you one more example, then we better wrap things up here. Uh, a few years ago, I was interviewed by Newsweek magazine. And uh, make a long story short, uh, this gal came up from San Francisco to hear three of my lectures. And afterwards, we talked for about 45 minutes. I couldn't resist Pastor Dave. I showed her a picture of the dinosaur blood. Her jaw, it looked like it dropped on the floor. And I could not resist teasing her a little bit. I said, now, ma'am, this photograph right here, it was taken over six months ago. And you told me that you're Newsweek magazine's top West Coast reporter. She said, yes, I am. <laughs> you're the best, right? Yes, I am. And you never heard of this. Well, no. Well, how come, ma'am? Well, I don't know. I said, uh, I just forgot his name. Thank, oh, see, this is why I got my wife here. Jerry Adler. Is Jerry Adler still the, the Newsweek magazine science editor? And she says, yes, he is. I said, don't you think you should ask him why Newsweek magazine has totally ignored this discovery? She said, yes, I will. <laughs> so, folks, that's a classic example, all right? If it embarrasses the theory of evolution, then it's not publicized. So it's not just politics that the media sometimes is very guilty of, partial, of, of, of being very partial, partiality. Uh, it extends to other areas, too, doesn't it? Uh, and again, we can talk some more afterwards, if you like, because uh, the rapture is about to happen. Uh, I thank you so much for coming. Sorry we went over time a little bit. But before we go here, folks, isn't it wonderful to know, once again, the more we dig, the better God's Word looks. We don't have to fear science or history or archaeology or the facts. 
because the facts, folks, they point to a creator, don't they? Made us, loves us, has a plan for us. We thank you so much. Hope to see you tomorrow morning. May God bless you. And now a final message from our sponsor, Pastor Dave. <laughs>